Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Ty Kersley, and tonight I will speak to a 911 dispatcher about the defund the police movement. We will cover in the news the recent unbelievable rise in gun violence in our country. But first, in memoriam. Bree Black, 27 years old, a black transgender woman, was found dead in her home after a fatal shooting in Florida, making her the 21st known transgender person to be murdered in 2020. Bree Black worked in retail, and her social media page was filled with photos of her big smile and personable poses. Sadly, Bree Black has been repeatedly deadnamed in the media reporting around her death. The murder of Bree Black comes only days after Drea McCarty and Shaky Peters were found dead in Louisiana, and Mercy Mack was shot to death in Dallas, Texas, all black trans women, and they have been deadnamed and misgendered by local media and police. Bree Black, we remember you. In the news this weekend, there was an uprising in gun violence in New York, Chicago, and Atlanta. In the last week, the number of people shot in New York City was up roughly 206% compared to last year, according to the New York City Police Department. The reported increase in violence marked the fifth straight week in which more people were shot this year than the year before. Monday, the New York City Police Department announced a significant increase in the number of people shot over the last week compared to the same time period. According to police, on July 5th alone, 48 people were shot, a 586% increase over July 5th last year. Other major cities around the country, such as Chicago, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles, are also reporting increases in gun violence, and crime analysts say there are multiple reasons why. The first thing is it's summertime, We traditionally see about a 30% increase in shootings in June, July, and August, said Christopher Herman, a criminal analyst and professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. The second thing is the COVID-19 shutdown. The shutdown is ending, and we are seeing more people out on the street. And the third thing is there's a lot of anti-police protesting and rhetoric. These shootings aren't random. They are targeted, Herman said. You should think of it in the context of people want to settle scores. And now that everyone is reopening, these shooters and these targets interact with one another. Herman also indicated the increase in shootings has followed an uptick in gun sales this year. FBI background checks between February and June were up about 36% compared to last year. Despite an additional 1,200 officers on the streets and pleas from community groups, Chicago's July 4th holiday marked the third straight weekend that a child has fallen victim to gun violence in the city. From Thursday at 6 p.m. through Sunday night, 87 people were shot in Chicago. 17 of the victims have died, including a 7-year-old Natalie Wallace, who was fatally shot in Austin Saturday night. At a press conference Monday morning, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown expressed condolences to the families of the shooting victims and called for changes to stop the violence. We must keep violent offenders in jail longer, Superintendent David Brown said. We should revamp the electronic monitoring program. It is clearly not working. We will not stop until the violence ends. 
At a press conference Monday afternoon, Mayor Lori Lightfoot reiterated Superintendent Brown's call to lock up violent criminals. Thoughts and prayers are simply not enough at this point, Mayor Lightfoot said. Sorrow itself is not enough, and what it says is we need to do better as a city this day, this year, and really every day. There's no reason we should be feeling and experiencing moments like this. The mayor was clearly frustrated and said there needs to be renewed focus on stopping the flow of illegal guns and the pipeline from Indiana. Police took 173 more guns off the streets this weekend, on top of hundreds more the past two weekends. There were 47 different shooting incidents across Chicago, mostly on the city's south and west sides. Lightfoot also said more has to be done to provide an alternative to a life of crime. Lightfoot also addressed yet another tweet from President Trump offering to help with the violence. She said if the president really wanted to help, he could support universal background checks and the banning of assault rifles, along with common sense gun control. Atlanta, Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp on Monday declared a state of emergency and activated as many as 1,000 National Guard members. Kemp, a Republican, said the executive order follows weeks of dramatically increased violent crime and property destruction in the city of Atlanta. The number of shootings and murders in the city was double this year compared to 2019 for the four-week period following Memorial Day, according to police data. During that time, Atlanta also saw violent clashes between law enforcement and demonstrators during protests against police brutality and racism. Shooting incidents went from 46 in 2019 to 93 this year between May 31st and June 27th while the number of murders spiked from 6 to 14 year over year for the same time period. Once again, this is Ty. You're listening to Radio Gag here on WBAI. Tonight, I'll be talking to my best friend, Angela, who I would call in any of my emergencies, at least for at least over the last 30 years. She's been the one person I've talked to uh, whenever I needed any help or I had a crisis. And since America is in a crisis, I wanted to talk to her because she's also a 911 dispatcher. So I wanted to get her opinions and perspective on what defund the police means. Also looking into police brutality and the systemic racism and bigotry that is being exposed in certain police forces. For 13 years, I worked for the, for one of the local cities here. And, you know, you and I talked about this before and I told you that I feel like larger police departments are the ones that are having a lot of problems with the the defunding and people wanting to do that. And like I told you before, like the city that I worked for, it's not a small city, but it's nothing like Chicago or Los Angeles or New York by any means. And um, I feel like people are so against the police being militarized. And yes, I understand that. But also when you have these people, these officers that are going into like, even even this past week, you know, weekend, there were like 40, 41 people shot in New York City. Um, th- there was like a, a ridiculous number of people shot in in Chicago. And, and that wasn't done by the police. It's it's truly, it's like a war zone sometimes in neighborhoods. And it's really sad, but officers have to be trained to deal with that. And sometimes that's that's like 
the only way to do it when when there's a huge amount of people that they have to go into a neighborhood and you know the situation is is so violent and they need to de-escalate it and like i told you before i don't know what it's like in other jurisdictions i know in our jurisdiction we did have officers that were trained in in a lot of different things that would not require them to use weapons you mean certain you kinds know. of counseling or sure like you know we we had a lot of officers that were they're hostage negotiators. You have a lot of people that are trained for people that have mental health issues, anything like that, you know, they, they would get sent out. They were the first people. We had lists of the officers and what they were trained in so that when you had a situation, a specific situation that came up, you would call those officers. If somebody was sexually assaulted, you know, you had officers that would go for that. And they were just the first line of people that would go out. After that, you had people that, you know, we call for social services that would come in and deal with the, the things. But you have to have these officers are trained. And again, I can only speak for the department that I worked for. They are trained in a lot of different situations. We do have officers that were specialized in a lot of different things so that, you know, using weapons was not the first thing that they do. I mean, right. and. I would like, and I want listeners to hear your voice of what needs to be protected if there is defunding going through. What, where are you afraid that money could uh, come out of? If you thought I mean, about I, it. I, there's, there's a lot of training. I, I, you know, I've, I've read a lot of posts online of people that say, you know, officers don't get enough training. They should be trained in this, this, this. And there's a lot of training that goes for police officers and it would be really it would be a shame if, if that was something that got cut. Um, they get trained in so many ways. Also, like the majority of the police officers that I worked with, they all had to, some type of degree, sometimes two, you know? I mean, they're, they're not just, they're not just, you know, dumb, dumb guys, you know, dumb jerks. jobs. Yeah, jerks or dumb jobs <laughs> with guns, you know, like a lot of people like to portray them. They're, they're people that are very educated. A lot of them have degrees in law enforcement and, and, and you know, in, in, in like different things such as psychology, sociology, uh, all kinds of things, just things that always pertain to, to law enforcement and helping the public. So, you know, that to me, that would be a shame. There's a lot of training that they do in the department as well for like crisis intervention, for mental health for, you know, dealing with domestic violence, for dealing with, you know, sexual assaults and things of that nature, even, you know, for, for, uh, the difference in, in, in people's, uh, be, um, their, their ethnicities. And, and, you know, there's just all kinds of training that they get. Right. So I want to understand when you're sending people out, do you think Think back that did you think the system was working when you were sending the right people to the right call that you were just describing? Yes, I did. And, and, you know, tra traffic, traffic stops. I've been on several ride alongs with officers and I'm going to tell you traffic stops are some of the scariest situations out there. You, you have somebody, you know, you're pulling somebody over and you have no idea who that person is. You have no idea, you know, pe people, it, it's unfortunate, but sometimes people panic for 
dumb reasons. You know, um, somebody might get pulled over on a traffic stop because let's say their blinker is out. And all of a sudden that person just so happens to have a warrant out because they didn't pay child support. And it's, it's not uncommon for somebody like that to all of a sudden freak out when the officer runs their information and they take off or they pull out their gun. If they have one in the car, they pull out a gun and all of a sudden you have an officer that's pulled over somebody for, you know, a, a blinker that was out who, who's now, you know, pointing a gun at them and, and, and it's taken off. I mean, I've seen officers get dragged from, from just approaching a vehicle and they all of a sudden are, are, are hanging on by, you know, the window of a car. It's, it's just, it's very unpredictable. People are very unpredictable. And, I understand and, that. and I know that, you know, officers, because they're police officers and because they're trained to have to deal with these situations, their first instinct most definitely shouldn't be to just pull out a gun and shoot somebody. But like I said, you know, if, if you're faced with somebody who, who's pointing a gun at you. Of course. I mean, that's the thing you alert to seeing a gun. Okay. So what, what, what it just, even if it's something small, what would you think, you know, what really needs to kind of be addressed is this. It's, it's really hard when, when you have, you know, people that don't trust the police and then, you know, they, they don't want to help them. Uh, one, because they don't trust them. And two, because a lot of times when people try to help the police, they, they put themselves in danger in, in their own communities sometimes, you know, and, and that's, that's hard. Also, you, I've, I've seen that the lack of respect that people have for the police is, is incredible. I've seen, I mean, I've seen officers pull somebody over and for a traffic stop, I've seen them blow smoke from a cigarette in their face. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. So it's frustrating for officers who try to approach people in, in a way, you know, where that you would think people want to be approached and people are so fed up with these bad cops that are causing all this problem for, for good police officers. They're so fed up with it that they don't care and they don't give them a chance. They don't give good police officers a chance to try and help them and try to do things for the community. So I don't, know what the answer is to that because it, it's going to require that both sides work together. And, and I know that the police department, you know, that I worked for, they try to do that. They, they reach out to the community. I know I've told you before that because this, the city that I worked for isn't a huge city like Chicago or, or, or New York, they have a better opportunity to know their community and, you know, be able to to do their job better because of that. I think it's really difficult for police officers to do the job that they should be doing when they don't have the time. I know that that's, that sounds bad, but you know, when you have, when you have like somewhere like Chicago where you have like a hundred something shootings in a weekend, an officer doesn't have the, the time to go out and, and, you know, be able to handle it in, in a way that I consider would be appropriate because there's just so many calls back to back to back they have to respond to. They're just trying to get to them. And so 
it's just bad all around. I want to address how things are covered up. Um, it, it seems to be that we find out that there's bad cops in, in the situation, and then we find out they have been uh, headed on this path for a long time doing things similar or uh, which, which led up to a, a bad incident. And I'm wondering, can you address any situation um, that made you feel, okay, this is this is not just bad behavior, but uh, a pattern or a bad cop, as we say. There's always, you know, bad cops. And there's, I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I had an instance where, you know, we were on the radio and we had somebody take off running. And, you know, it was, it was a, a, a foot pursuit. And when the dispatcher asked for the suspect's description, the officer came across the radio and said the usual the usual being a black male in his mid-20s, early 20s, uh, with a white tank top and jeans. You know, it, it was it was awful to hear that. And, yeah, that officer Because you died. felt you felt the disrespect. Yeah. You know, it's it, it was just like my like your jaw drops like, wow, I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. Yeah, he got in a lot of trouble. Um, okay, so so these tapes are then reviewed, or or you just had to, someone had to report him at one point, or just give me that process. Well, I not mean, to give his name, but no, no, no. But but you know, when when you're when you have something like that happen, when you work a police radio, it's you're the main dispatcher, and then you have like 30, 40 other police officers on that radio, and you know, if something like that happens, especially when it's something like a pursuit, it's gonna, you know, it, it's it's recorded. Our job as dispatchers is not only to give information, but also to record it by typing it into the computer so it's permanent record. I see what you're saying. Um, so it's just like when you see replayed on a, on a on a show, like when they have... Yeah. There's still a lot of the mentality in there. It's, it's I hate to say, but there is still a lot of the, uh, it's like a boys club, you know, and... And there is still a lot of discrimination within the department of, you know, that, that shouldn't be happening. And it needs to change. It needs to change. Um, and, and like I said, unfortunately, I think it, it's going to get worse. I think it's, it's, it's going to sh- just crash before it gets rebuilt. I want to thank you for sharing uh, your experiences with us and, and the listeners. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think dispatchers are interviewed in the right circumstances. I think generally we know about them because we're listening to a story breakdown and we're like, okay, how did this person handle it? But we aren't seeing that you're just as concerned for the safety of, you're just as concerned for the safety of the people who you've sent out. And, um, and of course the people in your, in your, in your town and in your neighborhood. I also want to say, since since you're, you know, I want to say that dispatchers are the first first responders. I know you talked about de-escalating situations. I I want people to know that dispatchers go through a huge amount of training, um, especially to deal with trying to de-escalate situations before police officers get there to try and make the scene safer for them. Because we are the first people that people talk to when they have bad situations happen. So I, I just 
would like for people to know that, you know, that that is also an element that happens before the officers get on scene. No, and if anyone listening to your voice now, you, you could, you could calm someone down. Uh, it's the extreme circumstances where, um, you know, where I'm sure you feel like you lose a little control. But absolutely, I respect what you do immensely because you can find another solution for this person's problem other than engaging with an armed officer of the law. All right, thanks again, Angela. Uh, you always make me feel better. So um, whenever you talk to me, and I appreciate everything that you've done with uh, people who have called you for you know, most of your adult life, you've been dealing with people at their worst. So uh, I, I take it as you are the best voice to explain what people actually need at that time. And I respect everything that you've done for them uh, up until now. I'm sorry. I respect everything you've done for them. <laughs> until now. now, From now on. I'm sorry. Thank you. Sometimes we have fun on this show, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our gag chapters located nationwide, like in Orlando, LA, DC, Chicago, San Francisco, and P Town. Another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And really, folks, just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on air here at WBAI and to bring you this live show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Once again, I want to thank my friend Angela for joining us and giving her perspective from her years as a 911 dispatcher. And thank you for listening to our discussion about defunding the police and disarming America. So, once again, we will leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise, with a parody song that wraps up this episode perfectly. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Oh, yeah, we Tell you something, we got you on the run. If you are an abuser, we want to take your gun. We want to take your gun. We want to take your gun. Oh, please, say to me, you had your background checked.
Take your gun.